0: can implement the elements and the principles of design, you can really create something beautiful that people will sort of stop and want to look at further. I really come from an approach to retail visuals, visuals in general, with strategy in mind. Yeah, really, it can, it can just be part of like your brand building and your awareness where people see an element and they know like, oh, that's that's the store. Like I need to go there. My friends have been there. Like I wanna make people tell their friends about it. I want people to come in and take photos and post them on social media. I want you to be able to post beautiful photos, you know, on, on your social or in your marketing and use those visual elements almost as like the core of your branding.
1: Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment.
0: I tend to see everything as important, which I, I totally get from like a rational point of view. Like, If everything's important, then nothing is important, but it's still very hard for me to prioritize. And so when I just see like, okay, I only have to get this stuff done this week and I don't have to think about that other stuff. It, it like, it's such a calming thing for me. Um, and it's true what they say, like an hour of planning can really, I mean, it's just like, I don't have to think every single day. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? It's already there. We work on a one week sprint cycle, which means that you create sort of a to-do list on this board. Um, You're pulling from a backlog, which has all the tasks from now until the end of time that you have to do in your business. And you're pulling them onto a sprint board and you're saying, I'm going to I'm committing to getting all of this work done between now and the end of my sprint, which would be between you the beginning and the end of the week. And you're checking in literally every single morning and you're saying, these are the things that I've moved along in the pipeline between yesterday and today. These are the things that are in progress. These are the things that are stopped for whatever reason. And so you're really watching tasks move from to do to done within the course of a week. And those are the only things on your list. So like there might be a million and a half other things in your backlog, but that's not your concern because you've identified the priorities for this particular week.
1: Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Good morning, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom West. I'm back with another episode. We are recording early. I asked my guest if she was a morning person, and her response was Mostly, sometimes it kind of depends. But here in the Midwest, uh, we're kind of in uh, a transition phase where children in school are still virtual and still in person. And here in our house, our twins are still doing virtual learning for kindergarten. So they start at 8 a.m. and it's a battle to try to get bandwidth for Internet. And there's just a lot of things going on. So I'm like, maybe we can get this done early. So I'm up early. I'm normally a morning person. Anyway, so I, I sent Sheena a message, and she said, I'll, I'll be there. No video camera Tom. We're not doing a video cast, and I'm going to have coffee. I hope you don't mind. And I, I'm so grateful that she agreed to wake up early to make this happen. So good morning, Sheena.
0: Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, for not being a morning person, you are already on it. I think before I hit the record button, you and I were just kind of chatting and getting ready to go and you you were being super silly and uh i i just can't wait to go through this podcast because i've already been laughing with everything we've discussed so far this morning and i know <laughs> i have a lot of fun as we go forward
0: i chalk it all up to the power of coffee
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i miss that i love black coffee and as i shared before we hit the record button I, and you said this too, is like, I've had to moderate it a lot. And you were saying you're moderating it too. Like your cutoff is year after year kind of creeping up like, okay, I can't have coffee after what, what is your cutoff period now?
0: Um, it's about four or five. I think it's still pretty late in the evening compared to a lot of my friends. They're like, Oh gosh, I can't do caffeine afternoon. So I'm, I'm definitely on the later side.
1: Yeah. I'm envious. I wish I could drink. <laughs> the day. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're caffeinated. And I'm excited to share this episode with the Improvement Nerds of the World. So let's go ahead and and not keep them in suspense any longer. I'm going to ask that stage setting question of what are we nerding out about this morning?
0: We are nerding out today about design thinking, specifically problem solving and prototyping and all things to do with productivity and things like that.
1: That is a big, nerdy topic, and I cannot wait to get the gory details of everything you've just set up right there. Uh, before we jump in and like turn the pages on it and you know become students of this topic, I want to get to know you a little bit. So um, I've learned that you had had a hand in the window displays of a local retail shop and this retail shop is one that I love to go and just check out the windows and I was telling my wife last night I'm like tomorrow I get to interview Sheena and she's been doing these window displays and my wife's like oh my gosh I've met her before so you're you're out there um you know putting putting your name into the universe and it's just crazy that um you know I'm sure you'll share in this story that that you're here because you didn't think that you'd be doing what you're doing now. So I I want you to kind of walk us through your journey with anthropology, your even, you know, your education background through, you know, some of the experiences you've had to to what you're doing today.
0: Sure. Um yeah, like you said, it's um gosh, it's sort of hard to know exactly where to start, but I like you said worked for anthropology for a good number of years. I was hired at that we're in Indianapolis so i was hired to work at the store here back in 2007 which seems bananas honestly i mean <laughs> i was um it was when that store first opened i was hired to be the display artist at that location and i was the first display artist hired for that store so it really felt like the art room is what they call it is in the back back of house and that's like the studio area for all all things to be built and created and and it really just felt like that was my studio to sort of make into my home um but yeah i worked with the company um as an employee from 2007 to 2015 now i'm forgetting my dates i think 2015
1: i want to check linkedin and make sure your timeline
0: matches <laughs> um but over that time, I really they they approach visuals so differently from most retail stores. Um, I think if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar with retail, um, a lot of people will get in these what they call picture packs or planograms, and it's where the people at the corporate level, the home office level, has basically like created a mock store and set up the tables, the walls the window displays, all that jazz. And your job is to look at the picture and then make reality look like the picture. And and that's typical for corporate retail. But with anthropology, it was never like that. They really empowered the visual team to be entrepreneurial, to figure out those problems, to set everything themselves. And so what we were taught is really just this sort of set of rules or guidelines to be able to do that job, which I think definitely most people don't expect. Um, As the display artist, I was constantly having to do sketches of displays that I would be building. I had to source and shop for all the supplies, which again is not normal. Um, And then we would go on these calls with our district and really like sort of, it was like similar to art school, like you would propose your idea, you'd present your sketches, you'd show your inspiration, you would talk about the elements of design, and then your district boss would say like yes or no or or critique and, and change things, and it was really such a high-level experience, and then again, you would build the display, you'd install it, and then you'd send pictures, and, and you'd have critique again, mm-hmm. and they'd be like, you need to elevate this, you need to... Hit your uh, focal point harder. I'm not seeing the rep- repetition that you included in your sketches, and so it's just like, yeah, all of this very high level design thinking that um, I had for years and years and years, full time, 40 hours a week of just designing and building and creating these large scale installations. It's it, it was such an incredible experience.
1: Yeah. I love hearing and I could see the the joy you have just in your facial expressions as you tell this story. And when we were prepping for this, you you talked about that experience and you said basically it was like getting a master's degree in some ways because you were working in an environment that encouraged learning and and they really empowered you to own the design and that they were trying to help you grow your ability to, to think as a designer and to also learn to incorporate feedback um, as appropriate in your design. And then also to design with um, an end user in mind, a customer to know that, Hey, whatever it is you're creating, you want to be thinking about who it is you're creating for. So you, you'd shared, Hey, this was like getting a master's degree.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to offend anyone that has gone through and and gotten their MFA or their master's or anything like that. But, um, you know, there is a certain up leveling if you are in a role for that period of time and and you're challenged year after year. Um, And I was um, I was also employed at the company during this really huge time of growth and expansion where they were just opening multiple stores year after year, the company was doing super well. So I actually got invited to do several store openings. I was often working with the um, home office team in Philadelphia, the visual team, to prototype designs. And I know that we will go into that more, um, but that's really like where you're working with the visual director on something for the first time, you're doing lots of material testing, you're figuring it out. And then those like step-by-step how-to's are rolled out to the entire company. So, you know, like, I feel like I was super lucky even to be a display artist in the first place, but to be like one of those, I guess, top people that, (laughs) you know, got to do all of this sort of added on special stuff was, was even more just like tools and problem solving skills to add to my toolbox.
1: And I think that experience kind of took you from being a designer into more of a visionary because being creative is definitely a skill that, you know, you came by naturally, but then trying to think through how you would deploy this across an enterprise and to other designers to have them take and act on these ideas and bring them to life in their own locations. You know, that was, I'm sure, just profound learning because uh, not everything translates that easily. So you had to be thinking about uh, how do I communicate this idea? What materials are accessible in these people's areas? And how do we think through switching and getting alternatives? So even that experience, I think probably was very rare. Like you won the lottery. In that mm-hmm. regard, do you feel like that?
0: I I really do. Um, you know, I just I think that time in my career was just so special. And full disclosure, I still work with the brand today. They actually hire my business um, to do some of those high level things. Um, sometimes I travel and work with them. Sometimes I work from home, and and we have feedback back and forth. But um, yeah, it's just I have such a great relationship with a lot of the people still in the company and, um, you know, like you were saying, having to think through, you know, put myself in the shoes of other display artists in other parts of the country. Um, Luckily, there's still a lot of creative freedom in terms of like, oh, if I can't get my hands on a certain material, or if my window is way too big to do a super detailed display like that, they can of course make that call. But um, it is a different thing when you're you're creating a how-to to sort of put your mind into someone else's shoes and think like okay these are the steps this is how I'm going to break down this process these are all the photos I need to include and and you have to sort of figure out like okay where do they need to see exactly like step by step by step and where can they make the leap maybe I don't have to explain every single thing verbatim or maybe I don't have to have a itty bitty tiny picture of this one little detail like maybe they can make the leap and and figure that out and um I've done a lot of creating how to's into my current job now um we could we should definitely talk about winter lights at lily house because that's yeah. I've basically included this entire workflow into the work I do now for new fields which is great
1: so you're everything you were saying, like the, the upbringing you had with the anthropology, the passion you had for that work, the relationships that were there, like that sounds like a dream job. Like everything you were saying is like, man, I, I don't know if I would have taken a leap because that comfort zone was probably really comfortable. You knew
0: <laughs>
1: to succeed in somewhere in that journey. Um, uh, you got an itch that, was just kind of, or a whisper in your ear, encouraging you to go out and to start your own business. So talk to us a little bit about what was driving you from from going from such a reputable organization that has beautiful uh, products in beautiful presentation. And I'm sure awesome, that doesn't happen by accident, that's surrounded by great leadership and great resources. So you had everything you needed to have an awesome career there but something kind of encouraged you to to make a change. And I I want you to kind of talk a little bit about that journey of saying I was comfortable, but something somewhere told me I needed to do this.
0: Yes. And um, I know that you are familiar with the Enneagram as a fellow nine. Um, Anybody that's listening, if you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm a nine. I'm the quintessential nine, like I love to just get real cozy in my comfort zone under a blanket um, (laughs) with my cat, all of the above. And, and yeah, it was, it was cushy. I I mean, the job itself, like day to day, it was very challenging, but overall, you know, I knew that I had good job security and um, it was a dream job, like really, truly. But I also know that I was in the same role in the same store for my entire time I was with the company and it was the only store in Indiana. It still is the only store in Indiana. So the only way that I was going to move up in the company was to either change stores or change my role, which I didn't want to not build display. And, you know, I, my husband and I, we, we bought a house, like we weren't necessarily in the right space to move out of state. And so I just decided that I probably needed to, you know, basically that my time had come. I kind of reached a ceiling um, with what I was doing in the company. So I started looking around and um, I got hired. I didn't start my own business right away. I got hired um, as a conservation technician at the Indianapolis Museum of Art at Newfield. Um, So I switched gears. I went into the world of museums, fine art. I was actually working with the art. Touching the art, I learned art handling. It was amazing. Um, but that was sort of the next evolution on my journey. Um, and no, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I always knew in the back of my head, I've I've always had this like desire, this this urge to make beautiful things. Um, it it's just always been in me. But I didn't think I was gonna start my own business. I thought maybe. Yeah. I'd have a product line at some point, but no, like <laughs> having a business back in like 2014, it was just like not on my radar. So, um, you know, for a while I was at Newfields and probably about six months is what I say. I was, that's when I started to get a little bit like itchy for something new, you know, um, the job was not as creative, um, as my previous job. So I started doing these like little you know like embroideries in the evening just to keep my hands busy um but eventually I just had this like aha moment one day I was dusting a gallery and that's that's what we do (laughs) we have to dust the art um so I was I was dusting and and I sort of every Wednesday morning I would dust this one particular gallery I sort of thought of it as like my meditation time because you have to be very engaged um in that process. And it takes about an hour and a half. And so, you know, I was just kind of, I would do my thinking Wednesday mornings. And then I had this like moment of like, wait a minute, what if I reached out to a local boutique and asked them if I could build a window display? Like I'm kind of an expert at that. And that's, that's where the idea became like a, Hmm, maybe, maybe there's something to this. We should maybe test this out
1: it happens in so many different ways. And I love hearing people's stories of how the light bulb clicked and it occurs, you know, um, at times when you don't expect it and it occurs across a path that seems like it's really random. Um, But when you sit to where you are today and you look back at it all, you oftentimes realize like, Hey, this was all building up to this major event. And so that happened for you. And then being a nine, I I also know that one of the things is we're very conflict adverse. So we don't, we like to hide behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, We're um, quiet in nature. We don't like to promote ourselves or the things we do because we're afraid that when we do those things, we become potentially a a target for, um, you know, failure. Like we open the door and there's definitely the risk of failing that when you're playing it safe and you're behind the scenes and you're executing under someone else's leadership like there's a safety net there but when you go out on your own and you're you are selling yourself to someone else you, there's a potential no and holy crap like that terrifies nines because they see no as like i'm not valuable or whatnot so you you get this itch and you have to overcome those self the, that self-talk and that doubt that exists there. Um, talk to us a little bit about going out and selling yourself to your first client and how that felt.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I feel super called out right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so hard. I think it, sales is hard for, I would say, the majority of people, unless you're just like super gregarious and extroverted. But um, definitely when it's like yourself that you're trying to promote this Thing that you've created it's so hard um what I did I will honestly say the first thing that I did is that I sat down I got online I've made a list of all the boutiques in the area um there were about 25 stores on my list and this was back in 2016 um so I just sort of like went to their website I went to their Instagram feed I was I, and then I kind of force ranked them and I and I said like okay these are the most um interesting stores to me they already have a strong point of view design wise they have a nice aesthetic um and so I I went out on a Saturday morning um just went into those stores um I remember the the first store that I pitched myself to was Lily and Sparrow in Fishers um they're currently in Carmel, but I went in and I was just like Hi, my name is Sheena. <laughs> um, I used to work for anthropology and build displays for them. I've started my own company. Um, I'd love to create something for you if you're interested. And um, they were just like, "Oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, we'd love to talk to you." You know, and I was just blown away. And and so I, you know, they were they were my first client ever. And then I sort of did the same thing with Kindred. Um, and Carmel I sent an email just a cold email and just you know told Christy the owner how beautiful I thought her shop was how I loved her her whole design vibe and just you know I was being sincere honestly like I I thought what they were doing was really good and and I just came with all of this experience where I could just Maybe take it to the next level if they were interested. You know, it was very like the softest pitch you've ever seen, just very like, hey, I have some experience. I'd love to collaborate with you, kind of thing. And there were a couple other stores that I also went into and kind of did the same thing, and they either you know, didn't understand or definitely weren't interested. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> but yeah, um Lillian Sparrow and Kindred were my sort of first two clients in 2016. They were the only people that I worked with uh, in 2016 because that was for holiday. And I thought, okay, I'll start with two stores. This will be an experiment. Um, and if it works, then maybe I can add on like the third store for spring. So um, yeah, I've my whole approach has just been like, slow and steady wins the race. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty risk averse, so. I definitely don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Um, and yeah, there, there, I'm sure there is a little bit of that, uh, you know, fear factor of like, okay, let's, let's just baby step into this and see if it works because this is really scary. And I know nothing about owning a business.
1: (laughs) Thanks for sharing that story. And, you know, kind of revisiting the emotions of putting yourself out there and, and going from being behind the scenes and having a safety net to being out all on your own and pitching really yourself. Most small businesses are the person mm-hmm. and that person's experience and their ideas. And that's when you go out there, you're definitely exposed. And you know, the, the fear, anxiety, all these things kind of creep into your mind and even the people who told you no. I'm sure you, you one, it was not as scary and terrifying or as harsh of a no as maybe you made up in your mind because I have done that too. Um, But even in that no, they give you like a little piece of feedback that really helps you in your next yes. And I think um, that really helps us grow as individuals. I know it's really hard to get the courage to go put yourself out there in the first place, but once you do it, it's really not as terrifying as you had made it up in your head.
0: Right. Cause no one says no. And then they try to murder you. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like a, mm, no, I don't really, you know, like sometimes I would be very clued into like, they didn't understand what I was selling. So they'd be like, no, I don't think that's something that we'd be interested in. Or, you know, some people would be like, no, my team already does that. And, you know, I would just keep to myself how successful I thought their team was at doing xyz um you know I don't want to call anyone out but you know yeah it's just you kind of you definitely if you can if you can have a little humility and not take it personally which hi I'm the queen of taking things personally (laughs) um yeah then then you can learn a lot
1: and that's really the core of what design is right is that that iteration and learning as you go so thank you for sharing your backstory and I'm so glad that you've taken those risks because you're here now and you're doing awesome things you know as you and I met you shared your presentation that you'd made where you kind of revisited how you went about starting your own business and that you learned to be more organized and that checklist where your friends and I think in that presentation you had, even making that presentation has a goal that you'd set for yourself like a year ago. So, you know, it's great to see that you're launched and that you're doing awesome things. Now let's kind of double click on exactly what it is you're doing and let's go deep on the design thinking process and prototyping and and then being organized across that because being creative, a lot of people see like, oh, they're just very talented. And yes, that's part of the equation, but executing on ideas is also important in that as well. So kind of talk to us a little bit about design and and let's nerd out for a bit.
0: Yeah. um, I don't even think I've mentioned the name of my business yet. It's color story studio. Um, I started color story studio in 2016. Um, It was a side hustle for two years. um, And then I've been full time for two years. So it's, that's just so crazy when I think about it. But um, yeah, I work with small businesses, primarily retailers to um, create display and decor. If it's retail, it's um, merchandising and displays like window displays, in-store displays. Um, I also have created custom lighting um, designs for other businesses. Um, We do permanent art wall treatments. my work is very visual, obviously. Um it's good to take a peek at my Instagram, which is at Color story studio.
1: It's um, better than Pinterest like <laughs> instead of going to Pinterest now, I just open up your Instagram and i um I think you had one recently that kind of showed um product display uh-huh. and the and then on that like you know, how did this come together or why does this work? and then your notes you talked about the theory behind the display so it's beautiful things to look at and it's also more of well how did this come to reality and I that nerds me out so definitely follow Sheena on on Instagram and we talked this morning your tendency in in hearing her um name or seeing it you're gonna want to transpose the I and the R because I did it (laughs) so it's it's Sheena Burt B-I-R-T correct
0: yes yes but my um I do have a personal account, but that's set on private. I don't ever really use it. So at Color Story Studio is the really the place to find me.
1: In in that, let's kind of talk about your that recent post and maybe use that as um a a way of articulating your your approach to design.
0: So- Absolutely. Um yeah, there's I think that. When I talk to a lot of small business owners and shop owners in particular, um I really come from an approach to retail visuals, visuals in general um with strategy in mind. And um you know, I think that's from my years working for anthropology of being really empowered to make strong decisions in terms of how to create product presentations or just visual presentations in general that inspire people, make them look a little closer, make them want to buy something. Like that's obviously the goal. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a ton of strategy there. And if you can implement the elements and the principles of design, you can really create something beautiful that people will sort of stop and want to look at further. Um, it's all the other things in the store too, from even how you arrange the furniture, the, the actual physical floor planning um, can really help to work a person through the space, get them to stop and sort of look high or low. It's, it's all a lot of strategy, and and you can implement those things, like or I can do it for you. But yeah, I offer merchandising services. I do offer store design and floor planning. I recently worked with a store where I designed the floor plan. They were moving to a new location, so I. Physically picked out all of the furniture and fixturing for them and set the floor plan. And they're doing like three x the revenue that they were doing in their old space. Like I'm not making this up; it's insane. Their numbers are incredible. Yeah, it's it's such a. I just think that like, I I want to be a resource not only you know to help businesses make more money because I think that that's super important anytime, but especially in 2020, but really I want to make your business a destination. Like I want to make people tell their friends about it. I want people to come in and take photos and post them on social media. I want you to be able to post beautiful photos, you know, on on your social or in your marketing and use those visual elements almost as like the core of your branding. Um Pen and Beach, a client of mine, they really they use the the visuals that I've created for them. so well in their branding um I made the moss walls that are in their caramel location which they use all the time um we designed and built the brass and globe lighting that's pretty iconic in their spaces and they tend to frame that up in their photos a lot so yeah really it, c- it can just be part of like your brand building and your awareness where people see an element and they know like oh that's that's the store. Like I need to go there because all my yeah. friends have been
1: there. I I think that's really cool. And that's such a interesting way to think about design is it's, it's strategic. It's these small individual pieces that may seem um, in silos from each other or separated from each other, but to step back to them and try to think about the big picture and how do they all fit together? So that strategic lens makes you as a designer, very valuable. And then your goal through design is to create a, an experience and to provide a feeling or to create response of an individual who encounters that design to be motivated to do something. And that that's something in retail is to share the brand to celebrate the brand and to be loyal to the brand, either in your purchasing behaviors or in recommending individuals to, you know trust that brand as well and and buy their product or services from it as well. So that we don't have to dispute the case. Design is really important to business and when done very well can really be a defining moment for that business. So we know design's needed, but a lot of people think like design is um, done through magic and that it's flipping a switch and it's all just going to happen really easy because you have a good designer but behind the scenes design is hard work and you can attest to that and it's also kind of putting it out there getting feedback and iterating 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 and it's kind of fail fast fail cheap so kind of talk to us not about the importance of design but how actually design comes together how these beautiful things are brought to fruition
0: yeah um you're you're absolutely right in that there is a process called prototyping uh, that I learned working for anthropology that I put into practice now. Um, where you take, you have an idea, you you've had your initial conversations with the client. Um, a lot of times I'm showing past work and and we're kind of using that as a jump start to get the conversation moved toward into maybe what they want to see. You know, I hear from most people, they see something I've done. They're like, oh, I, I want something like that. But, you know, obviously they want it to be their own version of something like that. So, um, but then some people want something completely out of left field, completely original. So I like to show them a lot of past work that I feel would, Kind of vibe with their brand um, but then a lot of times there's there's an experimentation process or a prototyping process where i am working with a set of materials to sort of push them in different ways to see what the material can or can't do um, and and also you know like just experimenting with color or variety things like that um, a lot of times I don't always have um, the time to do that with a lot of my small business clients, just because that is a pretty lengthy process, but that's definitely a process that we go through for designing um, Winter Lights at Lily House. We have a whole prototyping phase. Um, if you've never been through Winter Lights, it's a holiday um interactive, it's a walkthrough event where the entire first floor of this historic mansion is transformed with room-sized installations. Every room is different. So um, we are every year deciding what new elements to add into that installation. And they obviously have to be prototyped first. You can't, you can't just think like, I'm gonna do X and then immediately do X. You have to figure out how, how you do it before you actually execute it. And we also work with a lot of volunteers to do a lot of the the production work. So it's my job to do the prototyping, create the how-to, which are the step-by-steps. I also am in charge of sourcing all the materials um, with the quantities, the links of where to get everything. It's a massive, massive undertaking. Um, And then we're buying quantity for these volunteers to produce literally hundreds of, you know, maybe like the paper ornaments or cardboard cookies or something like that. So I think I derailed on a right turn, but that's the best example I can think of with, um, uh, the prototyping process that I use today that is, um, you know, it's very necessary.
1: It, it's essential. And I think it, it, and who comes in and consumes that experience oftentimes has no idea how that actually came together and all the coordination that needs to occur to actually, you know, do that and do it in a way in which it's, it's well executed because the attention to detail is critical at that point. And at that scale, every little thing has to be done. Um, in a way where it's not necessarily perfection, but you're wanting to do it in a way to where it can be appreciated.
0: Absolutely. Um, It's so hard for me because, um, you know, I don't work, I don't work for Newfields anymore. They, they hire my business to do this, but, um, you know, I'm not the one that's there with the volunteers as they're producing everything. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my, there's, you know, it's not just me that works on the Lily House display. There's a, a team of about four of us um so they can always sort of text me or call me when they're when questions pop up but you know like it's really important to me that i create these how-to's at a high level i have good photography showing every step of the way i have examples that i've created during the prototyping process that i then send to them so that they see like this is the standard we are creating to this standard we don't want that crazy lady to come in when it's time to install and be like, all of this is terrible. Um, so yeah, they, they know that I'm the one that creates it behind the scenes. And then I come in for the, for the install, which takes 11 days. It's insane. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's this sort of push and pull between like, you know, I want to do a good job for them and then they want to do a good job for me so that we can all do a great job for, the visitors, the the people that come through and want to take photos and spend time with their family and enjoy winter lights.
1: And the attention to detail isn't in just the production, but it's really in the plan that allows you to actually produce. In a lot, oh yeah, a lot of people see designers and creatives has you know uh, all right brain. You know that's. The, really definitely where they they thrive is in in that world their creativity originates from that way of thinking but the rigor that has to go behind the scenes that's more analytical and that's more structured and you have to tap into the left side of your brain which is for me that's where I'm way comfortable cuz you know I went to business school I studied finance things like that like I've always used My left brain, and I think in some ways I'm learning to use more of my right. Whereas here in this household, my my wife is a creative, and you're a creative. So her natural tendency was to more you favor the right side, and now she's finding hey, there's value in some of this left sided stuff, like to be able to effectively communicate, to be able to effectively organize, to keep record and track. Key activities that have to happen, and in, in what order for these things to actually unfold in a way where it's low stress, it meets its timeline, it meets its budget. So you've had to learn. Maybe you knew all along how to balance both, but you know, for some people, you were based on your training, you really strengthened one side of your brain, and then you know, as you go out and you try to execute stuff, you're learning. Hey, there's some deficiencies there, so you have to wake up that other side of your brain. So if you kind of were you always left brain, right brain balanced, or have have you had to, now that you have to keep your own books and you got to do your own invoicing and you got to follow up on timely payment, which are left brain type activities, is that coming natural to you or how have you had to work on those things?
0: Um, it is and it isn't coming naturally to me. I would say I've always been very detail oriented. Um, I learned in college, I went to art school, the Savannah College of Art and Design, um, and took, it's actually, it's funny, I took a weaving class, um, because I was a fashion design major and a fiber arts minor, (laughs) Um, I took a weaving class, and I thought it was going to be terrible, it was required for my minor, and I fell in love with the process, and it's, like, so boring, like, you have to, you're just tossing a shuttle back and forth you're packing the loom like sit out a loom weave the fabric but first there's like literally hours and hours put in of setting up the loom and I say all this because I learned that I love process and a lot of the work I do today is process work it's very repetitive tons of the work I did for anthropology was process work so um I definitely have always had that in me where I don't mind doing the same thing over and over again. And I think when it comes to keeping books and, and things like that, you have to almost be okay with process because it is repetitive. Like it's boring. You do one task over and over again, you have to do it regularly, um, and you have to have good follow-up and follow through. And then um I think I've always been pretty logistically minded too. That's that's definitely a strength of mine. Um but i think i i learned the workflow working at anthro i mean so much of what i do today really stems from that experience where you know i would be installing a window but i'd have sketches due for you know whatever project i was installing a couple weeks from now and i'd have shopping that i needed to do and i had oh hey you've got like two people added on to help you today so you need to have helper projects for them and <laughs> it's just like you're managing not only like a billion different projects at a time but you're managing multiple people at a time and they're all working on different things and that is literally to this day where i am right now like i have i think i have a dozen projects that are being installed between now and the end of the year which is overwhelming to me but you know and they're all at different stages and yeah i mean it's just like it's a ton to keep managed in my head and and a lot of people are like well who's your project manager and i say oh well that's me and (laughs) um we can talk uh, i've implemented a a new system in like accountability and a project management system but i could go on and on about this stuff
1: and i'm just like i wish i had it's too early to eat popcorn but like (laughs) You know, we had started out where and made a case like, hey, design is really wow. important. It's crucial for businesses to convey their message to adopt a designer's mindset and to really embrace creativity. And then almost in 15 minutes, we we go from that to also say, but but don't forget process and don't forget execution and don't forget. Um, the the things, the structure, the systems and structures that allow people to work together and to collaborate, which includes effective communication, clear and measurable goals, uh, detailed task and record keeping of what we're working on and what we're learning along the way. So now you just made a case for process management and performance improvement, and like I, this stuff is that's where I like and always. Telling businesses like, "Hey, you can have really good ideas, and yes, ideas are important, but so is the piece of executing on those ideas and involving people in them, as well as asking those people to provide feedback to your ideas and to calibrate along the way where appropriate." And you know, so I, what, what is your your approach to? We talked about your approach to design. Now, what's your approach to project management?
0: Um, well, my husband is a software developer and I used to do like, basically it's evolved from like pen and paper list making to, I was working in Asana, but I, uh, it's okay. I mean, I know that some people love it.
1: I do, I do love Asana. You just said this, we're ending this podcast. You just, <laughs> there's something better out there. I, I must know what it is.
0: So I think that I, I knew how to use Asana, and I even—well, I don't think it's in, it's entirely intuitive figuring it out. But I had purchased like a a digital course, and I, I, that course offered some templates. I thought it was really good, and I I was using it. But I feel like there's no accountability built into Asana, which I think is the problem with most project management. Oh my gosh. Systems.
1: You're just killing it right now. Yes, like it's not. Let's like have a plan just to have a plan, but let's have a plan to actually advance the work, and let's not confuse pro, like activity with productivity. So make sure that your plan is actually progressing towards the desired outcome, and also that the plan helps to create transparency and accountability. Okay, so that I agree with Asada. It, it does not drive the accountability as good as some other systems do now but I still use it because it's free
0: oh yeah for sure um and I use something else that's free so um like I said my husband's a software developer and um he uses Jira um which which utilizes the agile framework um and I'm probably going to be speaking in code to some of your listeners but um (laughs) um that is basically you work in a sprint cycle. We, so he taught me all of this and I am, you know, probably not using it exactly the right way that you're supposed to quote unquote. Um, But this is what a lot of software development teams use. This is what his team uses at work. And then um, we've started implementing this in our business. So we work on a one week sprint cycle, which means that you create sort of a to-do list on this board. You're pulling from a backlog, which has all the tasks from now until the end of time that you have to do in your business. And you're pulling them onto a sprint board and you're saying, I'm going to, I'm committing to getting all of this work done between now and the end of my sprint, which would be between, you know, beginning and the end of the week. And you're checking in literally every single morning and you're saying, these are the things that I've moved along in the pipeline between yesterday and today. These are the things that are in progress. These are the things that are stopped for whatever reason. And so you're really watching these tasks move from to do to done within the course of a week. And those are the only things on your list. So like there might be a million and a half other things in your backlog, but that's not your concern because you've identified the priorities For this particular week and that has been a game changer for me because I I think it's in my sort of nine brain I have a whole lot of trouble prioritizing things um I tend to see everything as important which I I totally get from like a rational point of view like if everything's important then nothing is important but uh, it's still very hard for me to prioritize and so when I just see like okay I only have to get this stuff done this week and I don't have to think about that other stuff it it like it's such a calming thing for me um and it's true what they say like an hour of planning can really I mean it's just like I don't have to think every single day what am I going to do today what am I going to do tomorrow it's already there so Um, And then at the end of the week, you can see like, okay, have we gotten everything else? Have we gotten it all done? Okay, if not, then carrying over into next week. And then that obviously affects your next week plan. So it's just been, like I said, game changer. And during this holidays, always, I consider being in holiday right now because I'm prepping for holiday displays, but holidays always my crazy busy time. But this is the busiest I've ever been. So thankful. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to wrap my head around.
1: (laughs) It's uh, It's high stakes environment. It's somewhat of a pressure cooker. You have these, you're running concurrent projects. So it's not, what am I doing for this project? But across all your projects, and that creates a backlog of work. And it's really hard to not feel overwhelmed when that work is unstructured and unorganized and, and chaotic and you know that's how I it's as if I you know paid you to say that cuz that's how I've helped organizational organizations facilitate turnarounds is you know emptying the pockets of everything you know you need to work on to take your business from where it is today to where you want it to be in the future and every one of those things you want to work on is an individual project and if you send Just like an activity, if you send all your work off at once, you're going to cause your resources to bump into each other and it becomes confusing and chaotic and nothing gets done because you try to do it all at once. You're trying to fit all this activity through one doorway. So you have to prioritize those things and you have to make decisions on what you work on in what order. And then once you've ordered that work, you need a process to actually activate it. And what you're proposing, Agile, um, I, I was taught before Agile was a thing is when I did my, my MBA and my PMP and my black belt. And I'm so glad Scrum and Agile are coming forward. But I was taught it in the form of Kanban, which is K-A-N-B-A-N, which is you take your work and you think about it in kind of four columns. You've got your parking lot and you've got your inventory, but then you've got your to-do, doing, and done and you manage them in a cycle. And the most common cycle is a week, a work week. Um, and you know, you at the start of that, Monday has a schedule and it's about filling the funnel up and saying, here's what we need to do and setting priorities and then creating work packages. It's a whole bunch of nerdy stuff, but it's a structure that works. And along the way, it helps you avoid the overwhelming sensation of you gotta work on everything but it also helps you celebrate these small wins of getting work done. Doesn't it feel really good to move something from the to-do list to the doing I'm actively working on this to now I'm getting this done and I'm putting it in the done column. How does that feel to see that happen?
0: It is the best. Um, The other thing that I love and, and you can, you can utilize this workflow in Asana. I mean, it's, it's just a method. The thing that I love about, JIRA is that there's a way to assign points to things. And this has been, this has been the real key, um, because we assign points to all of the individual tasks. And so we know that when we're planning, we know that, um, actually what we do is we, we equal one point equals one hour. And I know that that's probably not common, but I just like to see it. As that because i think about things in terms of like this will probably take me four hours um i've learned to get really good at estimating over time i've been doing this for over a decade so i i know how long things take for the most part um so um we just fill up to the you know number of points that we have in a week like you know it might be 35 hours so 35 points and then i can just like It feels so good to see like your number of points in the to-do column goes down while your number of points in the done column goes up. I just, I don't know. There's something about like that in and of itself is so rewarding to see like, I did so many hours of work this week and I was so productive and yeah, it just feels really good.
1: So when I started to facilitate improvement in healthcare, you know, I was working on in Kaizen events and so Kaizen is a a major project executed in a week. Um, So you're redesigning process, you're going out and collecting voice of the customer and you're collecting data, you're designing solutions and you're actually testing them in a very short period. So this is like orchestrated chaos and it requires the facilitator to be really hands-on. And working in healthcare, I was totally out of my comfort zone. So I was prior to that working in treasury services um, doing a lot of data analysis and forecasting, and really in my right brain world. And then I had to get way out of that comfort zone and stand in front of people and actually talk. And like I was terrified. And when I, when people in that design sprint would say things like, Well, we've tried that before, or that won't work, or I can't do that. I was able, as their facilitator, to say, uh, you know we're we're capable of doing things that we didn't think we were and here I am today a person with a masters degree in finance standing in front of people to which I'm very afraid to do public speaking and encouraging you that you can do something you didn't think is possible so i did that kind of like the reverse of going from right brained masters degree in finance to leading people and really encouraging them to apply empathy to solving the problem which is core of design and that taps into the person's left brain. And so I was able to challenge people to say, like, you're capable of things you didn't think were possible. And so it's great to me almost the reverse of what I was to have a person who has an art degree stand in front of people and say, creative work came very natural to me and structured work was a bit of a stretch. But you just articulated agile project management and its importance as good as anyone I've gone to business school with. So, for everyone out there who is like, I can't do that, you've now just met a case study. This is that, yes, you can. You can go from right brain thinking to left brain thinking. So, that is. I've just, and you've lit up when you talked about it. It's obvious that you were skeptical at first when your husband tried to convince you you should be using Agile. And you're like, yeah, right. How's that going to make a difference? Because it feels like it's going to be more work. I have to stop and I have to plan and I have to learn this new tool and I have to use these funny words. Oh, shoot me in the face. I don't have time for that. That, you know, it's true. Look at your little smile. Yeah. True.
0: it's so true and jira jira the software is is not that attractive like i i know that that's the dumbest thing to say but asana is so pretty and, and you know like jira definitely feels more masculine in its design and and it's not intuitive like oh my gosh it's just like sometimes it feels really clunky and Yeah, so it was just like, uh, no, don't don't mess with me. I had my workflow set up in Asana and like I don't want to be messed with. I don't want to learn this new thing. And you know, to his credit, Ezra was like, um, yeah, but maybe this could be better. And he's like, just give it a try. And if not, he he was willing. He was like, if I teach you Jira and you don't like it, then we can go back to Asana, but you teach me Asana. And I was like, okay. And then so we started, we did like a month where you know i learned jira we we tried it and i was like oh this is this is really cool and i'm getting stuff done so
1: it sells itself like it, it does <laughs> it wants you to start it's not more work it is the work It's just yep. you go about consciously deciding to do the work and what what a beautiful way to kind of take this episode and bring it together is like there's a true benefit of learning how to tap into both sides of your brain to think creatively and to think in a more process oriented way and combine those two things to actually um, bring forward great ideas, but also to follow that great up by that great idea up with a plan that's actionable and actually able to be executed on. Like you're like, now, I don't know. We're going to have to.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Oh my gosh. If I couldn't, if I couldn't do the work, then um, you know I wouldn't have a business. Like it's it's not <laughs> like I have to I have to come up with the ideas and and then actually execute them, or else I'm not going to get any money from my clients. I'm not going to earn their trust. Like it just doesn't happen. It becomes a hobby, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm running a business.
1: That is really well articulated. I have uh, like I feel like we could have had. A two-hour episode, and just gone so much deeper on both of these topics. But I think you you hit the highlights and you painted a beautiful picture of how these two things can coexist and work together, and create success. And you know, don't expect to do either of these things perfect from the onset. Just be curious about them and treat it like a journey. Like learn as you go. And I know today you would probably say, "Hey, like I ha- I don't have it all figured out." I'm putting words in your mouth. Uh, But is this right? (laughs) Right? Like we're all
0: absolutely.
1: And I I just am so glad that you came on and nerded out with me today. And I wish the best for for you, your family and the color studio. And and I can't wait to watch the tremendous growth you have. Because like you were saying, it's uh, in in, um, reality, it's not just you know, what can you do? It's really how you do it and why you do it for the people you try to serve. And it's really clear that you're passionate about this stuff. And it's not that you're passionate about it for your own personal benefit. You're passionate about it because you know what it can do for other people, for their business or for them as a consumer. And I think that is so cool.
0: Well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I I mean, I just, I've been so lucky and blessed to work with amazing, amazing businesses and clients in this area. Um, and then also just my journey to getting to this point. I I just feel like I've worked with the best people in town and um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to work with more people. I'm just, I'm expanding every year. I My client load grows every year. And the beautiful thing about my business is that it's not usually one-off installations um, because I work with retailers. And because spring happens every year, holiday happens every year, I work with them again and again, um, usually throughout the course of the year, year after year, you know, I'm going on four years with some of my clients, you know, Lily and Sparrow were my very first and I still work with them to this day. So I just, that, that relationship aspect where I'm super invested in their business and they're obviously invested in my business. Like I love the back and forth. I love just like the relationships that I've created. So yeah. And I don't know, I think if anybody's interested in up leveling their business, setting themselves apart in terms of how they, how their business looks, how, how their sales are impacted. Um, I would just, I'd love to talk to you. So yeah.
1: Uh, I'm. Thank you for putting that out there, and I hope individuals who hear this episode like trip over themselves to work <laughs> with you and just to revisit that. So we talked a little bit about Instagram and what other channels can people connect with you and start to create this relationship and possibly collaborate and partner with you.
0: Yes, Instagram is at Color Story Studio. Um, my website is colorstory.studio. dot studio. It's there's no dot com. Color Story dot studio. Um, and that has just like a, we're, we're slowly putting more like portfolio work on there, but that really has like my why and um, a brief overview of services. It also has this really great um, DIY store assessment. Um, so that's a little freebie. If you have a store and you want to assess your store from a high level, you can get that. Um and then I'll, I'll just give up my personal email as well.